0: Marie Kondo published her best-selling book entitled The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Maybe you've read it. It's a self-help book of sorts that guides the reader through a process of decluttering and organizing their lives. She began a consulting business at the age of 19 while she was in college, helping people organize their homes more efficiently, and it was a wildly successful business. She created a method that involves taking all of your possessions of a particular category, say your clothes for instance, throwing them on the floor in a pile, taking one item at a time and asking of it, does this item spark joy? If not, you throw it out. Her method became a bit of a global phenomenon. There was a TV show developed about it where they followed her consulting business around as she helped people declutter their lives. It seems perhaps to be a pertinent commentary on our society that her method and message are so popular. Perhaps the need to declutter is something that we all feel a bit more acutely these days. Today marks the second Sunday of Lent. Now Lent of course, does not refer to that stuff that your dryer filters out from your clothes, though it is a time to clear out some of the less desirable mess and clutter, the dust of our lives that we might be better off without. Lent, from an old English word meaning spring or springtime, is a roughly 40-day season in the life of the church when we're given the opportunity to do some decluttering Though decluttering of our spiritual lives. Fasting is an integral part of Lent. As Christians, will often give up something, say food, as a sacrifice, and as a way to open space in our lives for other things like prayer, scripture study, or other disciplines. It's really a time to take stock of our lives, to assess how we're doing, and maybe to note areas where we need to make some adjustments. You'll notice the table here has some new items on display. It's because we're entering a new series called Moneyball. where We'll be talking about money, our possessions, our time, this culture of busyness that we seem to constantly find ourselves wrapped up in. During this Lenten season, we might encourage you to think about these things. Take stock of your life. If a Lenten fast is not something that you've done before, we don't often talk about it as Baptists, but we would love to help guide you through that, because it might be important and helpful to think about. But our passage today is a story that's often read at the beginning of Lent, one which shapes our Lenten practices. It's the story of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness when he's tempted. So today we read Luke's version. Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward, Jesus was starving. And the devil said to him, since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus replied, it's written, people won't live only by bread. Well, next, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Finally, the devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, since you are God's son, then throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, it's been said, don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. At the heart of this story I think is a very familiar struggle, one of the most basic and perhaps primal struggles in the human experience. The struggle, of course, is temptation, to want something that we know we shouldn't have, that might not be best for us. We can all probably name something, even this morning, that we've been tempted by, whether it was 20 extra minutes of sleep. Uh, Me, for sure, I hit my alarm a few times. Maybe a donut that we know we shouldn't be eating, or a second one if we had a first. We are constantly bombarded in life by things that tempt us, that pull us away from what we know is better, and Jesus, in his full humanity, was not immune to that struggle either. Just before this story, in the Gospel of Luke, we read about Jesus' baptism, How the Spirit of God descended upon him, filled him, and named him for this special ministry to which he was called as Messiah. But then it seems almost before he had come up out of the water, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness, a time of trial, a place of solitude, a place of wrestling, Rather than immediately embark on his journey of teaching and healing and preaching, rather than just getting on with it and doing some good in the world, he's led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. It seems first to answer the question what kind of Messiah would he be? We read this passage at the beginning of Lent, our own journey into the wilderness, into a time of reflection and questions, and perhaps wrestling, because we're called to ask a similar question of ourselves. We call ourselves disciples, but what kind of disciples will we be? How will we face up to these temptations that life throws our way? This devil, by the way, or Diabolo, as it's written in Greek, really just means an accuser or a tempter. Jesus isn't faced here with some figure with red horns and a pitchfork, as we might see in popular depictions, but maybe just a voice in his own mind as he wrestles with hearing God's voice. And like any real temptation, Jesus isn't faced with choosing between good or evil, He's really faced with choosing good or better, good or best. And isn't that often how temptation works? Real temptations in life are often for things that look like they might be good for us. Jesus, it's been 40 days since you've eaten anything, you need to eat. What good is it if you starve yourself out here in the wilderness before you even have a chance to do any good for anyone? Just turn those stones into bread and give yourself some nourishment. Of course, one does not live only by bread, Jesus says. There is something much deeper that will satisfy, better than any food could, better than any material thing could. If we aren't careful, those material things can be quite alluring, can't they? Whether it's food or money or the new iPhone, I don't even know what version we're up to now. (laughs) Whatever it is, new toys and gadgets and possessions can hold quite a powerful sway over us, can't they? But the real struggle comes when those material things are used for good. Because, again, while this devil might be tempting Jesus with his own appetite, it might also be that he's tempted to turn those stones into food for others. There are plenty of hungry people around him. And how much good could he do if he just listened to this voice that said, You have the power to make it all better for them. You don't need to wait on God. Just go ahead and turn those stones into bread. As Jesus wrestles with what kind of Messiah he would be, he's faced with whether or not he would do things his way or God's way. Whether he will force the stones around him into things they were never intended to be, or whether he would trust that God would provide a way. Like Israel in their 40 years in the wilderness, he's faced here with trusting that there might be a better way than all the ways that have been tried before. The Roman Empire, by the way, under whose rule Jesus lives and whose shadow lurks in the background of all the gospel narratives, could have easily provided bread for hungry bellies. But Jesus' task is not to be the kind of Messiah that would operate like the Roman Empire did, but to operate by different rules, giving more than just bread, giving the very word of God that would transform hearts. The task wasn't simply to change the outward conditions of people's lives, though that is very, very important, but to change the very lives themselves, Is the good that we do in the world lasting? Or is it simply a band-aid, a temporary fix, perhaps which covers the symptoms but doesn't really satisfy? Or turning the question back to ourselves, what possessions, what cravings, what desires do we have that we try to use to satisfy these deepest longings, even though we know they never will? What stones of ours are we trying to turn into bread, into something that they will never be? What kind of disciples will we be? Well, this devil, perhaps in Jesus' own mind, tries another tactic then. He's led up to a high place where he can see all of the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, all of this is mine to give, and you can have it all if you just worship me, if you just acknowledge that The power belongs with me. I wonder if Jesus thought about it for a minute. Do you think he wondered how much good he could do with all of that power? You could transform lives with that power, you could make things so much better. You could make sure everyone had food, had fair wages. You could do away with the rule of the Roman Empire and its violence and oppression. But of course, it was too good to be true because it required a compromise. The temptation to compromise our own core, our own ethics, is a strong one. Maybe you faced such a temptation in your life Maybe there was an opportunity at work where you had the chance to get that promotion, that raise, that you would use to provide more for your family, a wonderful and good thing, or to provide more for those in need around you. But it required something of you that you weren't sure you could give. What good is it to anyone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very soul in the process, as Jesus will teach in just a few chapters. What good is it to gain the power of position, of authority, to gain the ear of perhaps unethical political leaders in order to get things done, even good things? Jesus seems to understand that to wield Power over others is dangerous, even if you might use it for good. One of my all-time favorite stories is The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. And if you're a self-proclaimed nerd in the room, you might know where I'm going with this. In the early part of the story, Frodo an unassuming hobbit, is given the task of taking the one ring of power created by the Dark Lord and destroying it to make sure that he would never get his hands on it again. But Frodo is frightened, and he tries to give the ring to Gandalf, a wise and powerful character who really is better equipped to handle the task. But Gandalf replies... Don't tempt me, Frodo. Do understand that I would use this ring from a desire to do good. But through me, it would wield a power too great and terrible to imagine. The powers and authorities that the world around us might offer can be dangerous if we're not careful. And to wield them requires a reverence of them that borders on worship. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him, Jesus says. The ways of Rome, the ways of Caesar have been tried before many times, but I will choose instead to worship God, he says. He decides to be the kind of Messiah that holds true to his core, that wields peace rather than the sword, that does things God's way, even if they might not seem to be the most powerful or efficient. That's the kind of Messiah Jesus chooses to be. So, what kind of disciples will we choose to be? Finally, this devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem, up to the pinnacle of the temple, and says, okay, fine, Jesus, you are right to worship God. And the scriptures say that God will protect you, that God will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. It's a direct quote from the Psalms, by the way. Perhaps as an aside, it's easy to see how one could even use Scripture for harm. So this devil says, go ahead, throw yourself down and let God save you. Show all of these people that you are the Messiah so that they will follow you. There's a bit of foreshadowing here to when Jesus is on the cross and many around him ridicule him and say, if you are the Son of God, call Him, save yourself. Surely there is an easier way. Of course, Jesus says, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Cheap parlor tricks are not what Jesus is about here. Perhaps there was a real temptation to show people the power of God. What harm would that do? Wouldn't that be easier? Or more efficient, wouldn't it be better to give people something to be excited about? To wow them into the doors so that they would follow? Of course, this kind of superficial excitement doesn't last. Again, what kind of Messiah would Jesus be? Would he be the kind of Messiah that would offer this superficial excitement that they could get anywhere else? or would he offer something deeper and more meaningful? It seems that out of these three temptations, this last one maybe has a little bit to say to the church community at large. Will we allow ourselves to be caught up in the allure of entertainment? Simply offering people something superficially exciting or will we offer something deeper that we know we can offer? Will we offer real relationship and compassion and meet the very real needs of people that they may not be able to find anywhere else? Again, what kind of disciples will we be? The season of Lent offers us an opportunity to go deeper, to ask some tough questions, But to be clear, this is not meant to be a time of punishing ourselves or needlessly suffering. The end of the road of the season of Lent is Easter and the resurrection, where we celebrate that God brings new life out of seemingly dead things. So maybe this story can simply help us reflect on the temptations in our lives for material things, for power and influence, for simple excitement that distracts us from something deeper, more life-giving. This story and this season offers us a chance to do some spring cleaning in our lives, to find where we might be missing out on the depth of love and joy and purpose and fulfillment that God offers. Thank God that Jesus has gone before us in this human struggle. Thank God that Jesus can show us the way in our wilderness.